How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another weekend. This is Saturday, so our tradition generally is Saturday Q&A day. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, discussion topics, arguments, whatever, you want to have a fight, go ahead, ask away. We're glad to hear from you. Anything on your heart, on your mind, go ahead, ask away. And what we try to do here is take anything and everything back to the Word of God to see how does Scripture in and of itself, the Word of God, the Holy Writ, the Holy Bible, what does the Word of God have to say about it? So I learn in this how to be more competent, more confident in the Scriptures, learning how to uh, rightly divide the Scriptures, how to pair Scripture with Scripture, to rightly divide the Word of Truth, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, and this is what we try to do here, the Berean Method. So we use the three points of Bible study, the three points of uh, the Berean Method, which is interpretation, application, demonstration, which is the what, the how, and the why of Scripture. What it specifically says, the narrative of the text. Uh, so we read through it properly to understand the full context of what is going on, what is being said, um, what time, period, all of this stuff. And then we back up, go again through it slowly, take a look at the how is it being said, the specific words and the pictures and the images doing the word studies, and then how can I pair what I'm reading with the rest of the Word of God to understand it even better and more deeply? And then we apply it to ourselves of the why is this important? We apply it to ourselves to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. And with that, we also take a look at the point of the clear interprets the unclear. What the Bible says clearly in and of itself as we always use the example like for example grace what is grace what does grace mean as for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself so what it says clearly about salvation that it's by grace unmerited favor by believing trust which is faith are ye saved and not of yourselves not by works so the clear helps us to understand the as we would call it the unclear as people are struggling with like uh, James 2. Faith that works is dead. We understand that's not salvationary. James 2 is not a salvationary passage because the works have no aspect to one's salvation other than the works of Jesus Christ in and of himself. He did all that was needed. He did everything. And all we must do is repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. So with that, Today we got a bunch of stuff we're going to be looking into, and um, I had a lot of fun last time we did this. Well, we're going to take a look at the horrendous uh, Reddit sub called Ask a Christian. And uh, we're going to take a look at some of these brain-dead questions. <laughs> some of these are just, I swear, when I read the read the title i read the question I, I lose iq points with some of these but we're going we're going to dive into this again and just see what does the bible actually say we're going to try to answer some of these folks questions uh it's just amazing that uh, you can tell by the kind of question you can tell that the questions that people are asking that they've never actually read the bible 
Oh, they may have read a verse or here. They may have a special Bible app where it gives them verse of the day, but they've never actually studied the thing. They've never actually dived into it, uh, dove into it. So now uh, what we're going to do is just take a look at some of these things. And yeah. All right. And also, I saw an interesting uh, post that... Uh, that you might find interesting so here's uh something that that's popped up is about uh how do you feel about the catholic church discounting indulgences for 50 percent off on april 1st how do you feel about the catholic church discounting indulgences giving you a discount of 50 percent off all indulgences on april 1st Of course, it's April 1st, April Fools. <laughs> but, 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 however, you think, okay, yeah, ha, 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 that's a joke. Yeah, very funny. However, um, in case you're thinking it's a complete joke, you do realize <laughs> that the Catholic Church still does indulgences discounts for purgatory you do realize they still do that right and the most recent one <clears throat> is the the vatican the roman catholic church vatican has given a, a a special time off purgatory where you can actually get some time discounted from purgatory if you are a follower of Pope Francis's tweets. Yeah. That's not a joke. As far as I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. If I misunderstood that, then joke's on me. But but no, it is, look, here's an article about it. The Vatican offers time off purgatory indulgences. Uh, if you are a follower of Pope Francis's twitter account and you follow his tweets we will dock time off purgatory oh if only martin luther were alive today <laughs> all right so on a more serious note okay how's it going folks good morning good morning we're off to a good start so again, folks, if you have anything you'd like to share, anything you'd like to discuss, talk about, debate about, if you would like to have a fight, please go ahead, share away. Be glad to hear from you. I'm in a good mood this morning. I'm ready for a rock'em sock'em uh, doctrinally. So um, as this past week, past two weeks, has been uh, quite a battleground for me, um, I made the mistake of posting uh, a clip on our Instagram Instagram account and it's making fun of charismatic tongues um, <laughs> it and uh, and in there I, I also denounce and refute charismatic tongues glossolalia their nonsensical noise making gibberish that they call angel languages 
<laughs> and uh, oh my goodness, for the past two weeks, I have honestly lost count of how many times I have had charismatics and these individuals come in and call me evil. They've called me wicked. They've said, I'm blaspheming God. I'm blaspheming scripture. They say, I'm blaspheming the Holy Ghost and all the rest of it. Denouncing me as evil and wicked and satanic and all the rest of it. You wouldn't believe how angry and hateful and vicious charismatics get when you start speaking against their charismatic nonsensical gibberish. Their Flintstoneism. I call it Flintstoneism. You know, the yabba dabba do. And, uh, Oh my goodness. And and uh, I they're like and you keep censoring and removing and any valid arg argument against uh, against you. Um let's just talk about their so far their valid counter arguments. The charismatics val valid counter arguments quotation marks valid is uh they just hyper cherry pick one verse. One verse. The one verse in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul talking about, uh, about though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Or they cherry pick the other one about uh, about an unknown tongue. They just cherry pick that verse and that verse. And they, there's no fleshing it out. There's no cross-referencing. There's no deeper study. There's no word study. There's nothing. They just put that verse in and they think that's a valid counter-argument. When they have no context to it and they ignore all the rest of scripture. All the rest of scripture. Meanwhile, I have a two-hour Bible study where I go into deep detail, walking through the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, explaining everything in great detail, showing you by the Word of God and using the Word of God alone how the, the charismatic tongues is invalid and that biblical tongues is languages of earth. If you disagree, Please give that study a watch and then bring your Bible and show me how I'm wrong. Please, uh, if you watch the video and then bring your Bible and you still disagree, bring your Bible. I'll listen to your arguments and you show me how I'm wrong. And uh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Biblical tongues is languages of earth. It is not this yabba dabba 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 do for go on and on and on. They say, I'm talking like an angel. I swear that must be insulting to angels. Angels must be insulted by that. Like, I'm talking like an angel, yabba dabba 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 do. Like, seriously, give me a break. And then they, then they, this, 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 then they, uh, encroach nigh on uh blasphemy by saying well it's the holy spirit of god speaking through me well it may be a spirit but it ain't holy there bud uh, that ain't holy because the spirit of god doesn't sound like fred flintstone he speaks audibly clearly concisely and he speaks scripture he speaks uh, uh, truth and righteousness and you know what he's saying and if you have no idea what you are saying, then that's self-confusion as well. And God is not the author of confusion. And I could go on for hours on that one. Or the hysterical laughing and mooing like dogs and barking like cats and all the rest of their nonsensical garbage. It's, I swear, it's not biblical. So, <laughs> but that's what I've been dealing with. Uh, it's been fun. 
But again, all you got to do is just bring the scripture and say, look, but the Bible says this. The Bible says this. And uh, it's quite clear. And it really does show the raging ignorance of, uh, of others. Shows you very clearly how they do not even have the, the slightest understanding of scripture uh, when you bring these things. Because you listen to their arguments, their so-called arguments. It's just, wow. Anyways. All right. So, as the topic of this of this video of this study is how much do you actually know because in talking with so so many people in the past two weeks uh it goes to show me that the majority of people don't actually know much they they have that they have some familiarity with scripture, they have, they have familiarity with certain passages. They're familiar with the word of God, but they don't actually study it. They don't memorize it. They don't, they don't uh, do the due diligence of studying the word of God. They don't memorize uh, scripture accordingly. They just hear a verse, hear a passage, or they have read something here once or twice. And that's about the extent of their knowledge of their understanding. How much do you actually know? Could you could you actually stand up and and competently using the word of God alone defend the doctrines of salvation, defend the doctrines of the scriptures? On the deity of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, uh, salvation by grace, uh, on grace itself, faith itself, regarding works and law keeping, all that. How competent are you? This isn't. This is in no way, shape, or form meant to be like a calling you out or any of that kind of thing. I'm speaking you as in general, in general to anybody. Like how competent, how confident are you in this? And th th there's there's no shame in this, but is that if you see that you do struggle in this and you do feel weak in this well there you go get started get started and if you want to know how reach out to us we'll, we'll let you know how and uh, and it, it starts with slow methodical reading slow methodical reading start with the gospel of john start the gospel of john and just slowly read through, just word by word, by line by line, slow, pay attention to what it's saying, and you take a look at how it's being said, and then how you can apply it with the rest of the word of God, how you apply it to yourself. Slow, 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 methodical reading. You ask the Spirit of God to help you, to give you the wisdom and the understanding, the knowledge of it, and He will work with you, He will help you. He will teach you all things. He will cause you to be in remembrance of everything right, that he has told you. He'll be with you always. He's your comforter, your teacher, your instructor in all things. So ask him and he will help you. So the, the other thing that comes down to this as well, it, you must understand is that, and I know I've said this a hundred billion trillion times, but pretend I haven't told you, is that the big drawback as well that you see in modern Christianity, and this is something that the Lord helped me to get away from a while back, and that is other writings. I know some people struggle with that one, 
And it's nothing wrong with having your favorite authors and all that kind of thing. You like having books and other writers. and That's all fine and dandy. But that's not doctrine. And no, that's not heresy. You do realize that uh, other writers and other uh, of, uh, of other Christians and all that stuff down through time, you, you realize they're not apostles. They're not prophets. They're not writers of scripture. You understand that, right? Because a lot of Christians, they say, oh yeah, I understand that. But yet, however, they treat the writings of other of other guys, of other men, as nigh scripture. They uphold it in the same level as the word of God. Like the writings of Augustine and the councils and uh, the Apostles' Creed or John Calvin or anyone else. Uh, they uh, up, uphold the scriptures so out of the same mouth as they're quoting scripture. They're quoting commentaries and catechisms and creeds and councils. And they interpret the word of God through the lens of of these other ones like as if to say like you can't understand the word of god unless you're unless you're reading it through the lens of john calvin or someone else um if you're doing that i'm sorry to say but you're biblically ignorant there is only one interpretation of the word of god and that is what it says in and of itself all alone without the help and the source of other writers what it says is what it means, regardless of what these other dudes are saying. We need to get back to just scripture alone. You see, out of the mouth of so many people, they shout sola scriptura, the word of God alone. They say that, they'll fight that, they wear that on their shirts and they have that printed on posters and they say it all over the place and they post it on social media and they shout it from the pulpit, sola scriptura, but they don't follow that. But they don't actually believe it. So many Christians shout and scream sola scriptura, but they are doing nothing but deceiving themselves, and they're nothing but raging hypocrites in that because of the, because they only interpret the Bible through the lens of other writers. They don't actually believe sola scriptura. Think about that one. So, what we need to do is ignore everything ignore it all forget it all come back to the word of god and learn the truth by the word of god of the word of god through the word of god all alone without the help of the interpretation of other men that includes myself you say well what about you that includes me i'm not the interpreter of scripture I'm just a preacher. I'm an evangelist. But what I'm trying to help you to do is learn is for you to learn how to do this yourself. Is you read through and I show you, okay, here's the scriptures. Now, what do the scriptures say about the scripture through the scriptures of the scriptures? Then I don't bring anything else into it. So there's nothing wrong with quoting other guys, uh, quoting other sources and whatnot. But if what they have to say even remotely contradicts the word of God, then they're wrong. doesn't matter who they are. They're fallible. They are not the writers of the holy word of God. They are, they are not the writers of scripture. So they're fallible. And everything they say is to be held, held in, in account to that. 
Even Apostle Paul, he, he uh, praised the Bereans because they did the same to him. Because the Bereans, they took everything that Paul said and they searched the scriptures thoroughly, daily, to see if those things were so. They wanted to hold Paul accountable to the word of God. And Paul praised them for this. But the vast majority of Christians don't even do that at all. They don't question anything that the guy in the pulpit's saying. They don't go home. They take everything that was said in the pulpit and the search of scriptures to make sure that the guy in the pulpit is right. And this is why we have so many problems today. Because nobody is doing the due diligence. That, that the actual methodical, deep, technical study of the word of God is a dying practice. It's a dying practice. And this is the problem with society. This is why Christianity is falling apart at the seams. Why churches are getting so watered down and corrupted. And, and people are preaching from the pulpits all kinds of wacky, crazy, psychotic doctrines and things. That, that so many preachers out there that, that are actually saying. Reformed preachers that are actually saying that we're in the tribulation right now. That the rapture's already happened. And, and some preachers actually saying we're going through the millennium right now. That I'm not I'm not even kidding. Like they, like how can you even call yourself a preacher, bud? It's just it's amazing, absolutely amazing. It's just absolute chaos. So, what can we do to protect ourselves? What does the book say? What does it say? So. We're going to look at this with some things here going on today. So again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything you'd like to talk about, please feel free to ask away. Uh, the floor is open. Mic's open. Go ahead. Ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Okay. Let's go down through here. So we got a couple things in the comments. And then... Uh, Got a few things we're going to be talking about, and then uh, we'll go over to the crazy Ask a Christian subreddit on Reddit. Okay. Um, yeah. As as Mia says, say yeah. The, the people bring all kinds of psychotic hypothetical scenarios uh, in re in arguing and refuting. The once saved, always saved doctrine of the word of God. Yes, the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. It is an absolute biblical doctrinal truth uh, because salvation is not by works. It is not by righteous works. It is not by law keeping. It is by grace through faith alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. And when you trust in the, in the living God, the Savior of all men, our Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in his work for our salvation, of his atonement, of what he's done, uh, of his shedding of blood and death on the cross, burial, resurrection, as the word of God says, he is the son of God, God manifest in the flesh, and he did this for our sins, and you come to the Lord, and you repent and believe the gospel, you are born again, saved, and you cannot lose your salvation. It cannot be lost, it cannot be taken away, it cannot be recanted. But people come in and they bring up all kinds of stupid, stupid, stupid raging ignorant hypothetical situations oh well are you saying i could just believe in jesus and like the example mia gave can you say i just believe in jesus and go blow up an orphanage or something and still be saved um 
first off, um, if you're going to do something that's stupid, uh, that kind of goes to show you have no conviction of sin, no conviction of righteousness, and you have no issue going and doing crazy, stupid, wild, w wicked, evil things, uh, that kind of reveals you were never saved to begin with. See, the thing is, you can't lose your salvation, but you can be not saved in the first place. That people, many people think they are saved, but they're not, but yet they're, they're just under the enlightenment. They have the understanding of, they have the head knowledge, not the heart faith yet. In their, in their minds, they see it, they get it, they understand it, and many people think that that's salvation, that they're saved because they see it and they get it and they believe in Jesus intellectually. See, there's a difference in believing in and believing on. Once you are truly born again saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. He will teach you and convict you and draw you in all these ways. And, uh, and that when you the temptations of stupid, vile, or wicked things come in, the Spirit of God will convict you on this. He'll convict you in righteousness, convict you regarding sin. He'll convict you of the truth. And uh, he'll, he'll seek to help you to turn away from these things. But can a Christian go and do stupid things, though? In a moment of weakness, could a Christian, completely excited by their own emotions of the moment, sear their conscience with a hot iron and and by the complete overwashing of their own emotions of the moment of the circumstances could a born-again christian actually go and do stupid things yes christians can go do stupid things and this is where the spirit of god will convict you on this and bring you in grief and sorrow after godly sorrow you come before the lord and you repent of this and the lord will forgive you but again you cannot lose your salvation salvation cannot be lost taken away or recanted he's holding you in his hand and no man can pluck you out that means you can't pluck yourself out either so there you go um <clears throat> Okay, let's go down through the comments here. Um, okay, Robert has a question. Hey, just curious. Are you pre-trib believer or mid-trib, post-trib, rapture believer? None. <laughs> Bet you that confuses you. Uh, none. Uh, actually, pre, mid, posts, uh, those... Uh, those three options that seem to be the only options that are ever presented as as viable options uh, of this of this doctrine of this teaching uh those three are actually biblically incorrect you see pre-trib uh, teaches that were taken out before any of the things happen before the antichrist reveals himself that's not what the bible teaches mid uh, just misses it when you actually take a look at the timeline when you pair the vials and the bowls and the wrath of god the rapture and all these things together and you actually do a study on this mid just misses it post is just stupid and we we take a look at what the word of god actually teaches it's called pre-wrath pre-wrath which has been the picture all down through time all down through the word of god is is pre-wrath is just before the wrath of God is poured out, he removes his own. 
And it's just like Noah and the flood. The, the Lord removed Noah and his family and closed the door before the wrath of God is poured out. God removed Lot and his family before the wrath of God is poured out. All down through, we see the wrath of God will never be poured upon his children. And we see this in the scriptures as well. Is uh, the timeline of these things is when the Antichrist reveals himself, how he reveals himself to the world. And uh, after he reveals himself, calls up God sitting in the third temple. We see the sun is dark and moon is turned to blood. The stars fall from heaven. The son of man appears in the clouds, all of this. And then the dead in Christ are raised first, which are the Baptist. I'm just joking. And, and, and we see uh, that he, all we which are alive remain caught up together to meet him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And at the same time as this happening, he seals his 144,000 to be his witnesses in the earth. This happens right before the wrath of God is poured out. It's called pre-wrath. Not pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. It's called pre-wrath. Now, if you want a, a deeper study on this, proving this point, uh, we have a whole uh, playlist of a Bible study walkthrough of the book of Revelation with Pastor Paul. Uh, fantastic uh, work. Highly recommend it. Please check it out. Um, he does a, a uh, Bible school class style Bible study series on Revelation, walking you through every line of every verse of the whole book, uh, uh, cross-referencing all the scripture, showing you all of these things. Uh, it's a fantastic study. So please check it out in our playlist uh, Bible study on the book of Revelation. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, um, Mia, in, uh, it says, says in reference to uh, what I mentioned earlier about the crazy hypothetical scenarios that people try to bring in to refute uh, once saved, always saved. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's why God says to avoid foolish questions. Exactly. You know, okay, you say I could just believe in Jesus and go do whatever <laughs> hypothetical situation is so stupid one of the my actual rules i try hard to follow is i will not debate hypotheticals if you bring facts if you bring actual reasoning we can discuss but if you start bringing up hypothetical situations to try to find a way around a biblical doctrine, I'm not even going to bother. Because this is what I've said before. Some of you might remember when I was preaching on uh, Periscope, uh, as when I really was going over this point of, the, of this topic, is uh, hypothetical situations. What, what hypothetical situations are, is the attempt to find a way around the promises of God to invalidate Scripture. Well, well what if what if this happened? Would this still be true? God makes a promise and he, he says an adamant point. And you're trying to create a hypothetical situation that that uh, so that we could debate by our reasoning of our logic to try to find a way to invalidate what God has said. That's what hypothetical situations are. I will not discuss. I will not debate hypothetical situations. What God says is the truth, and there's no exception. Well, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. But 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 what if what if I went and did this stupid thing? Would you still be... Did God stutter? 
he what he said is the absolute truth what he said is absolute and he's not the author of confusion he doesn't go back on his word and god makes a promise that's what it is regardless of what you think there is no hypothetical situation that you could come up with that can invalidate the promises of god that can invalidate scripture well what if someone went and gathered up all the bibles and destroyed them all would then his words still be preserved that's never going to happen. That's a stupid, made-up, hypothetical situation. Don't debate hypotheticals. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? I mean, stupid arguments, stupid minds. People who just, they cannot, they just cannot accept the word of God for what it says in and of itself. So they have to try to find ways to invalidate it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ignore stupid questions. Exactly. All right. Okay. Robert says, should there be a separation between being born again and being saved from the wrath of judgment? Um, the only way you can be saved from the wrath of judgment is by being born again saved. Um, there's no other. There's no other alternative. Um, born again is as Jesus says in John chapter three. Uh, you must be born again. Uh, being born again is being born of spirit. See, we're born of once of flesh, of blood, of water. We must be born of spirit. Um, and uh, to be born again is uh, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, as scripture says. And once once you are born again in Christ, you are freed, saved, redeemed from the judgment, from the wrath, from the condemnation. And none of that will touch you. So there's only one way to be free from the judgment of God, is that, and that is to be born again saved. So, no, I would say that there is no distinction. Okay. All right. Um... Robert says, uh, scripture says we have the hope of salvation. So when we are born again, we have the faith in Christ. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, that again, like I said, no, there, there's no distinction in this. There's no uh, difference of this to be free from the wrath, free from the judgment is to be born again. Saved. So yeah. Okay. Uh, um, Ors Recon says, is it a sin to burn a body in, instead of putting it in the ground. Yes, cremation is not biblical. Cremation is sin. Uh, we see examples in the word of God of this, um, that uh, all of the servants of God were always buried. Uh, only the pagans, the heathens would burn the bodies. Uh, to burn a body, to destroy a body like this, as bodies are made in the image of God, and, they, and, uh, and this is a defilement, a destruction. Uh, it is to be buried is uh, the principles we see all throughout the word of God. There is not one single license uh, uh, justification in all of the word of God for cremation. There isn't. Um, I've talked about this recently with some other people on this very topic. Cremation is unbiblical. It is sin. It is wicked. In my opinion, it is wicked. Um, it is a pagan uh, ritual. It is a heathen, pagan, godless ritual. Um, and uh, it is not permitted, as uh, we see by the scriptural principles. Um, 
so yeah, I, I again, it, you, if you disagree with me, show me by the word of God how I'm wrong. Yeah, bring you know, your own views on this, and uh, we can debate this. But again, the only times that we see such things like this happen is when the godless, when the heathens, the pagans are are doing this. Like for example, Saul's men, when they after Saul and his son were killed by the Philistines. Um, uh, his men went and got, took his bodies off the wall and burned them. Uh, again, these are the same men that took Saul to the witch of Endor. Saul's men were, were godless men. And this is the only time we see something like that happening in Israel, but in that regard. Um, so again, we never see this being done by any of the actual servants of God. Whenever someone like that died, they were always, always, always buried. So just something to think about in that way. Okay. Um, Force says, uh, what does the Bible say about divorce? And is it a sin to marry someone else after divorce? Yes. Uh, Jesus very, very bluntly, uh, uh, plainly, clearly said, said so in the gospels, uh, that if you're, uh, if you were to leave your spouse, divorce your spouse and marry another, that's committing adultery. Jesus flat out says it. Divorce and remarriage is adultery. Divorce does not mean unmarried. Uh, there's no such thing as unmarried in the word of God. The only time you are free from your vows, free from your spouse, is when the other spouse passes away. Then you are free to go and marry another, but not before. Once you are married, you're, you're sealed in this, uh, in the vow of marriage before God, and there is no license for divorce or remarriage. Divorce or remarriage is adultery, and there's no way around that, regardless what society says. Okay. Um, okay. Um, going down through here. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Uh, Mia has a question. I see, I hear and see everywhere the term woke. <laughs> what does woke mean? All right. I actually have. I think I posted it online. Uh, woke. The a state of awareness achieved only by people stupid enough to find injustice in everything except their own actions. It's a modern, stupid SJW term uh, for all these karen types where they find injustice in everyone else and they find problems in everyone else but they themselves are flawless sinless and can never make mistakes so that's what woke means okay um okay <laughs> question by michael in isaiah 45 7 yep it uh, reads god created evil not in the context that we think. In uh, another translation, it reads calamity. Do you know the Hebrew word used for translation here? Yeah, I've done studies on this. Uh, I've actually made videos on this one because Calvinists actually push the, uh, the teaching that God created. God is the originator of sin. John MacArthur is on record of saying that multiple times and other... Uh, Calvinists are on record saying this. John Calvin actually said that as well. God created sin and wickedness. Um, and they use that verse. 
But if we actually take a look at the word of God, what it says, and we cross-reference and pair scripture with scripture like we're supposed to, we see how this idea of God creating sin is complete, absolute, nonsensical heresy. It's corrupting God and making God wicked. But what does the word of God actually say? If we go to Isaiah, that's 45, 7. Oh, went past it. 55, 52, 47, 45. Isaiah 45, verse 7. All right. Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. As we know, God created the light and the darkness, and the light called day, the darkness called night. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, what is the context of evil in this then? Because we also have to pause just for a second before we have people say, ah, see, see, see. Nope, just hold up. Where else in the word of God does it talk about God's person, his attributes, characteristics uh, of his righteousness and his abilities and what he can and cannot do? God cannot sin. In him is no darkness, no shadow of turning. God cannot lie. Um, in him is no sin, he did no sin, he knew no sin. He's flawless, righteous, holy, pure, and just. God can't sin. God cannot sin. He's incapable of sinning. So, in this then, so, because people say, well, God creates evil, so he created sin. Do you realize what that insinuates? Because we also see in the word of God is character and attributes and all of this. So then the evil of this context is not sin, wicked, badness. All right. It's something else. So we take a look here of peace and evil. The context here, as we see when we do studies on this in the Hebrew meanings, is as in, I heard a great explanation of this, uh, of a picture is like a courtroom all right you have you, you have the whole courtroom you have the judge and the convict the criminal now the criminal he has has sinned the criminal has done things wrong and he's standing before the judge the sentence of the judge okay the sentence of the judge is an evil it is it is a suppression, it is a hindrance, it is a destruction, it, it is justice. It could be execution, it is something in that regard, but is the sentence of the judge, here's the question, now is the sentence of the judge sin, wicked, badness? No, 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 it's not. But it is a good thing. God makes peace and he creates justice that which is a suppression uh, that which fights against evil wicked badness sin so th this is what the, this evil is in this context other things also that also fall under this of things of things uh in negativity like for example in exodus chapter 4 genesis exodus chapter 4 where am I? That's Genesis. Went too far. Exodus chapter 4, when God is talking to Moses, and God says, 
verse 11. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach you what thou shalt say. God literally saying to Moses, God says, Who makes the dumb, the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Do not I the Lord? So the Lord is saying, He creates these. Like, for example, Jesus with his disciples, and they see see the, the blind man, and the disciples say, say, Master, who did sin that this man was born blind? This man or his parents did they sin that he was born blind? Jesus says, neither has this man or his parents sinned that he was born blind, but rather that, that the, the power of the Lord might be made known to you. What Jesus is getting at, what he's literally saying, is this man was created blind specifically for this exact moment that you could see me demonstrate the power of God to help you to see who I am. So the evil in the context is not sin, wicked, badness, like the Calvinists and other people sort of think, but rather is things that are hindrances of like, well, like blindness, muteness, deafness, or evil as in context of like the, the sentence of a judge, justice. These, thi these things are not sin, wicked, badness is not actual dark evils, but rather evil as in like a hindrance, a, a suppression of an ability, like seeing, hearing, uh, uh, speaking, or like the sentence of a judge. That's what it is. It does not mean, it does not mean, Isaiah 45, 7 does not mean, categorically does not mean that God makes sin, wicked, badness. Hope that makes sense. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, going down through. Mia has a question. Do we know what angels look like? Do we know what angels look like? Uh, to a degree. Um, we are given some description uh in the word of god um but then again this is the appearance that they uh, that they that they have in giving to us that we are able to perceive because again while they're of another dimensional plane they're uh an entirely different creature and they are on the fourth dimensional plane the spirit spiritual plane we are three-dimensional and our minds are incapable of fully grasping the fourth dimensional so there are certain things that we just will never understand till we get there but we are given some description uh, of uh, the actual appearance uh, by by certain individuals throughout the scriptures, um, yeah, like as Robert says, well, some angels uh, are described in uh, like being covered in eyes and everything. Well, what does that mean? Like, how is that portrayed? Well, certain angels uh, do have the appearance of men, like Michael, Gabriel. Uh, they have the appearance of men. Um, they appear as men. Um, and there are other ones, like, for example, the ophanims, the wheels full of eyes, 
wheels upon wheels turning in and on themselves full of eyes. I have no idea what that even looks like. Some people have tried to draw it by, by their reasoning, what they think that means. But again, that's just our personal thinking. And the seraphims with the wings and wings and wings covering themselves and, and going only in straight lines, never turning with, with different heads and everything. I don't know what that looks like, but we could have in our own imagination what we think. But it does, however, as people have said, give some meaning as to why every time an angel appears, why they always have to say, fear not. Because I believe it's terrifying. It's shocking, it's surprising, and it's terrifying when these angelic fourth dimensional beings just appear. It kind of knocks your socks off and that's why they immediately have to be like no no, no it's okay it's okay it's okay you don't have to be afraid fear not that, that that kind of gives it gives understanding gives meaning in that so yeah there you go all right let's go down all right so that's that all right so we'll move on to the next topic here now i actually have uh okay hold up put a pin in that we gotta follow up with what i just said uh robert says here uh so so then are the sons of god in genesis actually angels i've always been confused by this okay do you robert do you have your bible handy because uh, i i need you to have your bible handy to be i need you to see this all right uh, as I walk walk you through this, please grab your Bibles. Okay, okay. please turn to Genesis chapter six. Please turn to Genesis chapter six. Now I have gone over this before. We'll go over this again. Pretend you haven't heard this before. Okay. Now. A lot of people think, have been taught, a lot of people believe, Genesis chapter 6, about the sons of God coming to, to, the, to the daughters of men, that this is fallen angels mating with women and creating the half-demon-human hybrid monster thingies. Uh, I'm here to tell you that that never happened. That is not what it says. It, uh, Genesis 6 does not say that even remotely. It does not teach that angels or fallen angels mated with women and created these half demon human monsters, whatever's that, that never happened. Read it slowly. Look what it says and pay attention to the context. Look what it says. Genesis chapter six, verse one. We'll go just bit by bit here. And it came to pass, I mean, time is going, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters are born unto them. Okay. So we see time is going the human population is growing and they're spreading across the world. We see great human population. That while this is going on, verse 2, that the sons of God... Hold up. Now, firstly, nowhere in the entirety of the Word of God 
are demons, i.e. devils, i.e. fallen angels, ever called sons of God. They are always called enemies of God, enemies of all righteousness. They are always called evil, wicked, foul beasts, foaming out their own filth, liars, murderers, deceivers, enemies of God. They are never, ever, 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 ever called sons of God. All right. They would say, well, well, in Job, it says that when the sons of God are presenting themselves unto the Lord, that Satan came. Right. That Satan came. He wasn't supposed to be there, but he decided to show up while the other angels are presenting themselves to the Lord to give account for whatever it is that they're doing. Satan's not called a son of God. He's called Satan. All right. Now, the other two, uh, other argument here as well is say, well, if it wasn't devils, it wasn't fallen angels, then it was angels. No, it wasn't. Yes, angels are referred to, in, as you see in Job, as sons of God, meaning children of God as God created them. Uh, but we also see, as Jesus says in the Gospels, that uh, in, that uh, in the end, in the rapture, when we're taken up to be with the Lord, that we will neither marry nor give in marriage, we will, for we will be like the angels. You do realize angels cannot procreate. Angels can't procreate. They're spirit beings, that, and we see in the Bible that only God can create life. Only God creates life in the womb. So, when we're looking at this, verse 2, that the sons of God, so so, it, so, it's not fallen angels, it's not angels, then it's something else. Who else are referred to as children of God, sons of God? Righteous male servants of God. Righteous male servants of God. People say, well, well, it could be fallen angels came in and possessed individuals and then did this. Okay, well, let's just keep reading. But it says that the sons of God, this is a term that is given to, to individuals of righteousness. Sons of God is a term given only to servants of righteousness. All right. So this term would not be used. Sons of God would not be used if devils were involved. If these are people possessed by devils, then they would not be called sons of God. See, that the sons of God, so this, so this then in context would be male servants of God, righteous male servants of God, like Moses, Noah, David, Samuel, Elijah, righteous male servants of God, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Hold up. Now, in the actual Hebrew of Genesis chapter six, verse two, word fair literally means righteous goodness not beauty not beauty it means righteous goodness so the sons of god saw daughters of men that they were righteously good so righteous female servants of god and they took them wives that the sons of god the righteous male servants of god took them the righteous female servants of God, wives as wives of all which they chose. Now, in the middle of all of this, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Why? Well, it took 120 years to build the ark. Okay? So, while this is all going on, 
Uh, so you see population explosion across the world, and we see these certain uh, righteous servants of God taking wives and have they're having their own children. All this while this is going on, and then we see the uh, the ark is happening. That while this is going on, verse four, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. Hold up. Also after what? Well, what was literally just said, verse three, the ark, so the flood. So there were giants in the earth in those days before the flood and also after that, also after the flood. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But there were giants in the earth. Now the word giant in Hebrew is Nephilim. Now, this is where we get into the fun stuff. Uh, where individuals have this idea that there were these huge, great big, 300 meter tall, mountain sized behemoth beast things. No, no that's stupid. That, that, that's, that's idiotic. That, no, that's not a thing. Well, mountains are just, if you look at the mountain just right, it, it, you could see there's a foot, there's a head. The mountains are just these giants had fallen and died and were covered with earth, and the mountains are actually dead giants. That's stupid. It's like clouds are people then, because if you look at a cloud just right, it looks like a face or a turtle. Okay, no. But there are giants in the earth. So Nephilim, the word Nephilim has zero mystic divine qualities to it. If you actually look and do a study in the word Nephilim, according to the Hebrew in the scripture, it just is a term that literally means an abnormally big person. Like, for example, Goliath. Was Goliath a half-breed human demon hybrid monster? No, that's stupid. What about NBA basketball players? They're big. What about Robert Wadlow? What about the world championship powerlifting strongmen? The, you know, like the Icelanders, nearly eight feet tall and weighing 500 pounds can flip trucks. Nephilim means an abnormally big person. We do see in the Bible, they were individuals, 12 feet tall, 20 feet tall, really big, but they were human. The sons of Anak, that, that uh, when Joshua and his mighty men were coming into the land of Canaan, and we see the sons of Anak, and you look to a study in the Hebrew, literally means Nephilim. They are really big, and the Joshua's men all said, they make us feel like grasshoppers because they're so big. But they're human. Now, here's the thing. Now, the Bible says in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, in the whole passages about the flood, the Bible flat out says in uh genesis chapter 7 genesis chapter 7 verse 20 look at this 15 cubits upward now cubit a cubit is the distance from the elbow point to the tip of the longest finger that's a cubit now, a cubit by standard measure of today of a six-foot man is roughly around nearly two feet. However, the cubit by Jewish standard was the cubit of the king. So cubits actually changed because certain, certain kings would have a different sized cubit. 
A cubit measurement was a royal measurement. It was the measurement of the king's, uh, king's cubit. Now, here's the thing, though. In the writing of this, in the time of Noah, is it possible because everybody was bigger and things are bigger and things are different? Is it possible the cubit could even be a lot, a lot more? So if we were to go by the standard cubit of today, all right, which is uh, about two feet, if we were to do that, so this is 15 cubits, that'd be about 30 feet, we could theorize, all right? So Genesis 7, verse 20, 15 cubits, we could theorize 30 feet, upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. Mountains. So the highest mountains, like, like we'd say, if Mount Everest at the, was there at the time, this is saying that the waters were 30 feet above the mountains. Verse 21, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life. So everything that was on the earth died except for Noah and his family and that which was on the ark. Of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both men and cattle and creeping things, um, the fowl of the heaven and were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. Okay, people say, well, well, Nephilim survived. No, they didn't. Nothing did, except what was on the ark. Now let's go back to Genesis 6. Look at this. And there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. Where did the genetics for giantism come from if only Noah and his family survived? if only noah and his family survived where did the genetics for giantism come from noah and his family so does that mean it's possible that we could then theorize by that itself would, uh, could could that mean that Noah and his family were giants? Because think about it. That would greatly assist them in building the ark. <laughs> um, yeah. Totally. It, it, so again, this is, falls under biblical theory. And Noah and his family then were giants. Something to think about. So, um, the interesting thing, but all of this, as we do a study on this, we see that the very idea, though, the false teaching 
that fallen angels made with women and did all this, that never happened. You can see that. It's abundantly, painfully clear that the whole fallen angels made with women thing is just stupid and that never happened. Uh, the only place where that actually is found, where fallen angels did all that, that's only found in the Satanic Book of Enoch. That's in the Satanic Book of Enoch. That's not in the Bible. That's in the Book of Enoch. That's not in the Bible. That's in Catholic teaching. Catholic doctrine as well. Not the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. It was righteous male servants of God taking righteous female servants of God. Let's continue. Verse 4. There are giants in the earth in those days and also after that. So we see giants. Where did the giants come from after the flood if only no one his family survived? Right? And also after that, when the sons of God, the righteous male servants of God, came in unto the daughters of men, the righteous female servants of God, and bare children to them, that the children of the, the offspring of these righteous male and female servants of God, the offspring of these, became the mighty men which are of old men of renown. That's what it says. There you go. Um... And Kimberly has a follow-up, uh, but why do do they even mention the giants so undescriptive or explain just a point-blank statement in their giants and the earth and the flood, paraphrasing here? Because it was just, it was a non-issue. It didn't, it was just a thing. Yeah, you know, and like, oh yeah, there's also giants around and, and all of that, and uh, they're, they're a well-known thing. Um it's not something that really needed to be greatly thoroughly detailed and explained it was just it's a non-issue it's just there are there oh and also yeah there, there are some, some really big people too yeah they're going around and there's just a lot of big people that's just that's literally what it's saying i'm paraphrasing too he's talking about all oh, this is what's happening and then oh yeah and there's also some really big people over here too that's what that is because it's kind of a non-issue um, and it's, uh, it's just, the Lord is just giving us a description of just what it was like back then, that this is what was happening. This is happening before the flood. And as there were big people, then there are big people now and, the, and just, there are regular folk and all this. And that's just all it means. Like, why doesn't the Bible go into great detail to tell us about, about, uh, the unicorns? The Bible says that there is unicorns. Why doesn't it tell us exactly in detail what the unicorn is and all of this? But if we actually take the word unicorn, which is uh, Latin, I believe, it means it means uh, uh, monoceros, which means a single horned rhinoceros. If we actually take the word that was given and do a study on the words, the meaning of the words, we see it's a now extinct single horned rhinoceros, which they have uncovered in in russia and other places of the the now extinct uh single horned woolly rhinoceros the siberian unicorn as it's called and just at the same time as we do a study of the word nephilim a biblical study on this not going by some other uh, crazy people's writings and whatnot but just do the bible study of the bible words and then it says we as they have uncovered uh giant skeletons go look it up they have uncovered in archaeological digs and stuff, they have uncovered giant skeletons. Skeletons from 12 feet to 20 feet tall, 
uh, and more, uh, even taller. Uh, these are really, really, really big people. They've even found in America, uh, I forget the the native tribe, the now extinct native tribe, uh, were giants upwards to 12 and 18 feet tall. Native Indians of America. Not joking. And a whole bunch of other tribes actually had to come together to fight against these ones because they were so... Uh, so terrible and they actually drove them into this one cave and blocked up the cave and killed them all um yeah it's real uh, there are giants and we can find it out we just do a study same as we do a study on the word unicorn why doesn't the bible tell us that there were pterodactyls why doesn't the bible tell us about the saber-toothed tiger well it tells us a lot of things doesn't tell us everything and it just because some things are just kind of just a non-issue it tells us about some things and we research it and the things it does mention we can search it out by what the bible does give and we can find out what it is um so yeah yeah and as kimberly says yeah and a lot of them that were dug up were hidden away yeah uh, actually the uh, that that is a well-known thing as well that the atheist community the evolutionary community, the uh, Smithsonian Museum and its community are deliberately covering these things because it validates scripture and they don't want that. This, this Smithsonian Museum has even been caught, red-handed caught, dumping some of these artifacts in the ocean to hide it and, and to, like literally giant skeletons. And other things that actually validate scripture, uh, biblical uh, archaeological discoveries that prove the Bible true, and they're literally dumping it in the ocean. They have been caught red-handed doing it. They have been uh, given some of these things and burying it in the basement of the Smithsonian, and they were not going to uncover it because it justifies biblical account. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's this is what's going on. Um... Michael says there is a genetic-based company that's trying to bring back the woolly mammoths and saber tiger. Yes, I heard about that. That's actually kind of cool. Um, that would be really neat. Uh, they, they've taken the, the mammoth uh, DNA and they've taken some DNA of certain elephants uh, alive today. And um, they're going to create kind of a, a new hybrid uh, to try to bring back a woolly. It won't be purely what the mammoth purely was, but it'll be a close equivalent um that'd be kind of cool kind of neat uh, see, seeing seeing uh, a, a kind of a, a mammoth like creature and these other creatures that'd be really cool um uh, i just what goes through my head is the movies uh jurassic park i just once they start bringing back the velociraptors i'm gonna i'm gonna start living in a bunker <laughs> last thing i want to see is is velociraptors and t-rexes running down the highway <laughs> okay okay um <laughs> all right so with that we're going to move on to the next topic now i have some homework for you folks um i have written up a list of questions here that i've actually uh, printed off and handed out to multiple people in our church uh, for homework and i want to do the same with you folks so if you have a pen and pencil, 
uh, 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 pad of paper here. I would like you to take down these notes, these uh, these questions. And what I would like you to do is I would like you to write out the answer. Uh, no looking up copy pasting. No copy pasting. Uh, it's from your own personal study. I want you to study out the answer and I want you to write the answer down. Okay. And when you have it written out, it's up to you. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to. It's, but uh, this is just it's for your own benefit. Uh, once you're done writing it out, if you could forward it to, uh, to us here at Christian Coffee Time. Uh, you can contact us uh, in our email, or if you would like our address and, and to e to actually mail it, you can contact me and uh, well, I'll give you the the uh, address. But uh, I prefer it just email it in. But uh, but uh, you can always rewind this part. We are one hour thirteen minutes in, one hour thirteen minutes in, and uh, you can always uh, rewind it and come to across these questions and write them down later for in a rewatch. Okay. So we got some questions here. I would like you to to answer, fill it out, write it out, and and uh, hand it in. All right. Okay. So this this question is in uh, is to test your own personal competence and being able to give the gospel. All right. Now what I want you to do is answer these questions scripture heavy, scripture heavy. Uh, little of your own words but i want you to answer with scripture explaining the scripture with scripture walking you through not just bible verse but i want you to explain it explain the verses but it needs to be scripture heavy all right so the title is the title what must i do to be saved this is the title what must i do to be saved now the questions to explain this because you want to explain it as if you're explaining it to someone who's never heard it so what is salvation it's question one what is salvation I want you to explain that scripture heavy explain it to someone who's never heard it question number two what sets christ apart from other religions jesus's why is the Jesus of the Bible so special? What's different about him in comparison to the different Christs of other religions? What sets Christ apart from other religions? Jesus. Because, you know, the unsaved would be like, well, what about the Hindu Jesus, the Jehovah's Witness Jesus? What sets this Jesus apart from other religions? Jesus. All right. Question number three. What did Christ do? To merit salvation possible. What did Christ do to merit salvation possible? Answer that with scripture and explain it. Question number four. What is grace? What is grace? Answer that with scripture and explain it. Question number five, how am I a sinner? How am I a sinner? Answer that with scripture and explain it. 
And finally, to wrap this up, how to be saved. Now, according to the word of God, using scripture, explain how to be saved. Scripture, explain it. All right, so there's, there's your homework. The title, what must I do to be saved? What is salvation? What sets Christ apart from other religions? Jesus, what did Christ do to merit salvation possible? What is grace? How am I a sinner? How to be saved? And if you even want, if you're writing this down on your computer, you could copy that. Once you're done, copy all of that. Put that in a comment. Put that in a comment under this video, and uh, and uh, we'd love to love to see different people's explanations of different people how how you evangelize. There's no wrong way in this. Using scripture and explaining it, different people explain it differently. But using different scriptures differently. Some use Ephesians two. Some use Romans ten. Some use Mark one fifteen. Some use John three sixteen to answer these. Just use scripture. How would you evangelize these? Uh, th this. How would you witness uh, this uh, to an individual? Copy it in the comments if you want. You don't have to. You don't want to. You don't even have to take part in this. But if you do, here you go. This. This is what I'd like you to do. And if you want to send it in, please do so. Be glad to hear from you. And uh, again, this is a test of your own personal competence and being able to explain the gospel. Can you do that? There you go. Some homework for you. Do it. Okay. So, again, as the title of this video is, How Much Do You Actually Know? So, as a test of your own reasoning, your ability to be able to explain this, to, uh, your recall on scripture, um, because you always got to be ready because you have no idea when you're going to come across a moment, a time, an individual where you'll need to be able to witness and you need to make sure that you're ready and capable and competent to be able to do it. So there you go. It, it's being able to explain these things. It's one thing to quote scripture because anybody can memorize the verses. It's one thing to quote scripture. It's an entirely different thing to explain it. Anybody can quote John 3.16. But walk me through John 3.16. Walk me through the passage and explain it competently. That it makes sense according to the rest of the word of God. That's what I'm trying to get to do here. All right. So, yeah, no, there's a, there's no, no time limit on this. Well, a little bit don't procrastinate this set this as a priority set this as a priority and just get it done just answer these out how many let me just ask you a question how many hours do you sit in front of the television what about just postponing your television and doing this what about postponing your movies and your video games and all the rest of it and your gardening and just do this what about setting this as a priority just do it. Just get it done. Just get it done. Try to get it done as soon as possible, but don't don't shirk the depth of it. Don't just quickly rush it out the door. Like do a good, thorough job and explain it. And then hand it in if you want. Alright? So there you go. There's your homework. Okay. Now for the fun stuff. Who here is ready to lose some IQ points? 
All right. We are going to take a look now. Oh, the app closed. We're going to take a look at the Reddit sub, Ask a Christian. Ask a Christian. And we're going to go down through some of these questions here. <laughs> All right. This was fun last time, so let's see what happens here. Um, all right, here's one. <laughs> Do you believe God really created the Andromeda galaxy? All right. Unless you're one of those special individuals that believes that space does not exist. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he he made the worlds, plural, meaning planets. God also created the planets. And we see in Jude, I can't remember the exact, the verse number, uh, the term wandering stars is in Jude. There it is, verse 13. Jude, verse 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Uh, that's actually an, uh, an astronomy term, wandering stars, uh, as in mean, means a planet that has broken out of the gravitational pull of a star and this planet is just wandering through the darkness of space with no pole, no home. And it's just wandering through space. That's literally what it says here, Jude 13. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So if you don't believe space exists, well, the Bible disagrees with you. Okay, so uh, did God create other galaxies? Did he create other systems and all this stuff? Yes, absolutely he did. The Bible talks about these things. It talks about the stars and the other planets and, and all this. And there are other galaxies of stars that have different uh, celestial bodies and, and stuff uh, uh, pulled in the gravitational pull. There are other systems out there, but there is no other life out there. But there are other uh, star systems out there. Absolutely he did. He created all these. He created all of it. And the Bible says he created all these things for our enjoyment. To be able to see. He created the beauty of, of space and the stars and nature. for and Even the sunrises and sunsets. For, for the enjoyment of his saints. That's what it says. So yeah. Um, so did God create other galaxies? Yes, absolutely he did. Yep. Um... 
Let's see. Here's here's one it says, uh, please forgive me if this is silly. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Um no, they did not. From a scientific standpoint, is it possible that God could have included that it's possible the bible doesn't say they did or didn't so this is where it falls under biblical theory that if it's purely by the standard that they were not born from the from a regular traditional point of how human beings are born um with the umbilical cord and all of that so because they weren't born that way but they were actually fashioned created by god adam from the dust of the ground eve from the rib of adam then technically by that uh, standard no they did not have belly buttons but is it possible that god could have included it yeah he could have uh it doesn't say whether he did or didn't but from purely from that point of creation of the beings of adam and eve how he made them uh they were not made in a traditional sense uh, born uh, from the womb so from that we could deduce that the most likely no, they did not have belly buttons. Okay. Okay, here's a question. What is the difference between God existing outside of space and time and not existing at all? What is the difference between God existing outside of space and time and not existing at all? What's the difference? One God exists and the other he doesn't. I don't know how that's a hard question. Um, okay. Here's a question. Will we have less creative opportunity on the new earth or more creative opportunity on the new earth? Uh, well, it kind of depends on the on what you perceive as imaginative creativity. You see, much of the imaginative creativity that's going on in the world is rather inappropriate, immoral, unbiblical in many ways. So, it kind of depends. Now, also we see that that uh, there won't be need for, for certain things as we will be busy. We'll have work to do. We'll have stuff we're going to be doing and serving and working with the Lord. Uh, but, in the new earth, when God creates and God destroys this world, he makes a new world and he brings us down to the new world. We'll be in our new bodies without sin. So we will have, we will still have our imaginations, but without sin. We will have our creativity, but without sin. So it'll be an entirely different thing. So in a sense, it would be better. Our creativity will be better, will be purified, will be sinless. We will have a sinless creativity. 
So in a sense, in that, it'll be better and it'll be more in that regard. So hope that answers that one. Okay. <clears throat> Mia has a question. Um, why did God create us? And as it says, for his pleasure. Why? Now, okay. Uh, why did God create us? Now, God didn't need to create us. He's not in need of anything. He is not in need of anything. He, God wasn't bored. He wasn't lonely or any of that kind of thing. But as it says that we were created for his pleasure. Now, we take a look at the context of this in comparison to his character and attributes and his being and all this. What does it mean for his pleasure? Uh, for his benefit, for his pleasure, meaning meaning as in as he just did it for himself because he wanted to he just wanted to and in this and in creating it he, he made us and uh, he sought us as the bible says to be his friends to be in fellowship with us uh, to be the friends of god the servants of god uh to to walk and talk with him and fellowship not because he needed it or any of this but because he just wanted to that God is infinite and is in need of nothing, but in his own personal desire of this, he just wanted to do and chose to. Um, that's what it means in that way. Uh, there's, that there's no insinuation of like boredom, loneliness, or any of that kind of thing. All right. Um, okay, Jacqueline has a question. Okay, um, question. I know the Bible says when, when one dies, you're absent from the body, present with the Lord. Some are teaching we just sleep when we die. They don't go to heaven. They're they teaching off of John 3.13. All right, let's take a look at this. Yeah, soul sleep is unbiblical. Soul sleep is not true. Soul sleep was created by the Seventh-day Adventists who also inspired the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe in soul sleep. Um, they came up with that whole idea. The Bible does not teach it. What they're doing is they're hyper cherry picking certain verses uh, when the Bible very clearly, blatantly teaches uh, that of, uh, of immediate con con conscious existence outside of the body, neither heaven or hell. The Bible teaches that soul sleep is not true. Um, what verse? John 3. 13 um, uh, John 3 13 and no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the son of man oh yeah so but again what they are completely discounting is the is is the Bible talks about Sheol the place of the dead that in Sheol was a two-place compartment uh, there's the hell and the judgment and fire and torment on one side, a great gulf fixed between. And the other side was paradise. Um, and the, the dead uh, would go down to Sheol. And if they were, they did not believe in the Lord, they'd go over to the side of hell uh, to await the judgment seat. And if they were saved, they'd go to the other side to paradise. As it teaches as well in Ephesians and uh, another passage about when Jesus died on the cross, that he went down and he preached across the gulf to the spirits in prison. 
and we see this in the bible multiple times as well if soul sleep was true we had a big problem because we see moses and elijah on, on the mount of transfiguration we see the spirit of the prophet samuel coming up from the realm of the dead to talk to uh, king saul um and we see uh, uh paul talks about i met a man in heaven above whether in the body out of the body i cannot tell so we see that that there's many passages in the bible that refute soul sleep uh, now a lot of them are also going by the term that they sleep in christ that they that they sleep and that the um they don't know how to deal with this word what this word is is a term that is given uh, to the uh the eternal existence of, of this uh, awaiting the day of resurrection as the lord says all those who believe in me shall never die but they sleep in christ that that's referring to the physical body as the body without the spirit is dead the body without the spirit is dead if the spirit is still in the body and is sleeping then the person's not actually didn't actually decease um but when the when a person's time comes the spirit leaves the body the body dies what jesus is referring to is about eternal life that is given all those believe me shall never die eternal life they always live forever with the lord now sleep in regard is we want to go over to john chapter 5 where the bodies are brought up john chapter 5 verses 28 and 29 we see the great resurrection all the bodies are brought back up the bodies are waiting for the day of resurrection that's it just means the body is waiting so i.e the body is like sleeping waiting for the resurrection the spirit is not in the body the soul is not in the body the spirit the soul are either in heaven or hell that's what the bible teaches soul sleep is a complete false doctrine that twists scripture cherry picks certain verses and teaches a, a false thing so soul sleep is not true hope that makes sense um yeah and uh, as it, in the kings it says uh the kings that when they die they slept with their fathers right they, their their bodies are taken and put together and uh where they await the time of resurrection the bodies go to rest they go to rest uh, in the grave yeah um all right mia has a question if salvation is um if salvation is by the gospel alone does it mean that jesus preached the gospel to abraham so they may be saved okay the word gospel means good news. That's the gospel. So the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the good news of Jesus Christ. How were people saved in the Old Testament? As we see that the body of Jesus has hadn't yet been born, hadn't yet come to the earth. So well, how were they saved in the Old Testament? Well, they were saved by grace through faith by belief in the lord god of israel and we see they believe on the lord god of israel and we see the uh the the sacrifice of the lamb there would be a blood atonement by the sacrifice of the lamb a blood atonement for all sins the high priest would go once a year uh, to with the with the blood of the lamb uh, sprinkle it on the mercy seat for the sins of all the people so all those who believed on the lord according to uh, the scriptures when they believe in the Lord, this blood atonement once a year would be for everybody that believed. 
and we see the Ninevites, we see Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, we see all kinds of other people, other Gentiles, other nations. We even see there was an Egyptian king, an Egyptian pharaoh that believed on the Lord God of Israel and he was saved too. That they would trust in the living God of Israel and this blood atonement would be for the sins of all the people. A foreshadowing picture. So, no, it wasn't like the gospel that we have today, which is a new covenant. They were under the old covenant. And no, it wasn't a covenant that they were saved by law-keeping and that kind of thing. That's, that's not true. They were saved by grace, through faith, by belief in the Lord God of Israel. And, and uh, their sins were atoned for by the shedding of the blood uh, of the high priest once a year on the mercy seat. There are all kinds of other sacrifices for other things, but it was this one that would be the covering for all sins in, in this way, the atonement of all sins. But again, the Old Testament, by grace, through faith, by belief in the Lord God of Israel. So yeah, and then we see Jesus comes down and brings uh, the new covenant under him. That is, he is now the lamb. He is now the sacrifice. He is now the blood atonement. And it's now in his name, uh, of his blood, of his work, we are saved. I bring a new covenant in my blood, Jesus says. So, hope that makes sense. Okay. All right. Let's Take a look. All right, some others here. Here's a question. It's actually a pretty good question. How come many Christians interpret silence from God and no response to prayer as God responding with a no? That's actually pretty good. How come many Christians interpret silence from God or no response from God to their prayers as God answering with a no? A no answer is a no answer, in other words. Why do so many Christians interpret it that way? Well, I would say because impatience. Impatient. And... Well, if God isn't isn't just going to tell me yes, then it must be a no because he's taking his time on this and he just won't tell me. And so we go by our own reasoning, our own logic, our own thinking, and we kind of take a no answer as a no answer. That's just kind of how we, our knee-jerk reaction in things. If someone hesitates to give an answer, then it's a negative answer. That's just how we behave in that. And we're impatient. Uh, we don't give God time. That sometimes an answer takes a while we see daniel prayed for 21 days before he got an answer and sometimes it takes longer because well different reasons sometimes god is working out the scenario and it'll take time for the answer he answers in different ways he doesn't always answer in binary responses of yes or no sometimes it's a different response a different answer he goes about it. you make a request but he answers it completely differently than you'd ever expect. So we need to spend time with the Lord in prayer and fasting and fellowship and, and wait on the Lord and, and to keep knocking on the door, to keep asking, to keep seeking his face. And he will respond. He will answer if we would just give him time. So most of it is impatience. All right. Um... Is morality and the choice to believe in things something God came up with or something we came up with? 
is morality and the choice to believe in things something God came up with or something we came up with? Well, let's rewind the tape. Let's go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Morality. Morality was taught by God. As God made them coats. We see as Adam and Eve, their idea of covering up their nakedness, their idea of morality is not quite what God wanted. But we see is also a consequence of an understanding of morality in this way uh, is, a res- is a direct response to the fall of sin. The knowledge of good and evil knowledge of good and evil their eyes were opened and they saw and they understood as we see the knowledge of good and evil and this is this is a built-in as god's law is written upon our hearts god's law is written upon our hearts and so we have knowledge of these things and that we are all without excuse that all know all know all understand and the the conscious ability of choice to believe in things the reason why we need to believe in things when we have that desire to have to believe in things even the atheist who denies belief believes in their atheism everybody needs to believe in something where did that come from that comes from that which is written upon the heart of every in everybody is that innate desire need to believe on something and we see with the unsaved they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness so that they're without excuse and they change the truth of god into a lie and they worship and serve other things so all of this actually comes from that which is created by god written upon their hearts of natural desire and we see, we see the natural man receiving not the things this, uh, that are of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned and they resist the Lord. So we see mor- the, the, the idea of morality, the understanding of choice and belief and all of this actually came from God. All right. <laughs> I guess Mia has a follow-up with one of the previous ones about heaven and hell. Um, those who were saved in the Old Testament went to Sheol, to the paradise side, right? Yes, that's correct. So Jesus preached there in Sheol, that's right. He when, he, when he bowed his head, gave up the ghost, his spirit went down to Sheol, to paradise, and he preached across the gulf to the spirits in prison on the other side. And he was instructing them as to why they were there, what they had done to the spirits that died in the time of Noah and the flood, explaining all these things and stuff and telling them what they had done against the Lord. And this is why they're condemned. This is what it's about. Um, That's what he did there. And he was down in paradise in Sheol. So Jesus preached there in Sheol. So technically they heard the gospel of Jesus. Well, that. They they heard uh, about uh, what about their sin and their judgment and what they were there waiting in the time uh, and what was going on. Um, the same as we see, for example, of uh, the rich man and Lazarus when when they uh, when the Lazarus the poor man at the at the gate of the rich man they both died. The rich man opened his eyes in flame and torment, and Lazarus opened his eyes in paradise. I e Abraham's bosom was another title of paradise. Um, they were able to talk across the gulf and uh, all that. So we see in this, and that was not a parable. That's a real live account. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Jacqueline says this is true. A lot of people say he actually went to hell. That that that's right. That actually is a uh, a translation error, as the original manuscripts uh, do not say. It says Sheol, but certain translators interpret that incorrectly in writing of in the different languages. Translating from the original manuscripts, they put in hell, which is supposed to be Sheol, not hell. Jesus did not go to hell. He did not go to Hades. He went to down to Sheol to paradise the place of the you could call pre-heaven because as it says in scripture then when Jesus ascended up on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men and what this means when Jesus ascended up in the ascension of Christ he went went up that all those that were in paradise went up with him he took them up with him so now when we die, we go up to be with the Lord. We do not go down to Sheol, to paradise. Uh, that's why Paul says in his writing, he says, I met a man in heaven above. Whether in the body or the body, I cannot tell. That we now go up to be with the Lord. We do not go down to paradise in Sheol. So that's what the scriptures actually teach on that. Okay, let's take a look at another one. How long have we been going here? An hour 45. Okay, we got some time. Um, here's a question. How would you answer this one? <laughs> Regarding heaven, okay, so use your sanctified imagination, heaven, the place of God, where God's temple and throne are, heaven, okay? Would we need any kind of police like things in heaven would we need any police in heaven think about that now think about what that question in and of itself insinuates what the question in and of itself shows about the questionnaire and their and their grasp of scripture understanding of scripture and doctrine regarding sin and righteousness heaven and hell and all all of this now think about this okay what, what would that insinuate if heaven needed police so what does the bible actually teach that uh, no sin can be in the presence of god what it says that god will not allow sin in his presence uh and that uh, that sin is in the flesh sin is in the flesh so for the saved when we when, when our flesh dies sin dies with it um, our spirit soul goes to be with the lord sin is not upon the spirit and soul of the saved that goes to be in heaven and there's no sin in heaven so there's no crime in heaven there's no sin in heaven there's no evil in heaven there's no need for police and law enforcement in heaven of any kind um it is a perfect flawless righteous utopia so there you go okay all right here's a question why do christians believe in a god that sends Billions of people to hell for not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's literally a question here. 
Why do Christians believe in a God that sends five to six billion people to hell for not believing that Jesus is the Son of God? Why would you want to believe in a God that sends people to hell? All because they just won't believe in Jesus. Well, I could turn that around for one. And well, why would Odin not uh, uh, not? Uh, why would you want to believe in Odin if he doesn't accept you unless you believe in him and his ways? Or what about Krishna and Brahma of the Hindus? You don't believe in those gods, so those gods will send you to their hell. Odin will send you to Helheim. Okay, but this. But why would you want to believe in this God? Why would you want to believe in a God that would send you to hell because you just don't believe in Jesus? Well, first off, this God of the Bible has a set specific narrow way, a way, a truth, a life, that if you want to go to his heaven, this is his method. All right? Now, understanding that all these other gods are not gods, they're demons and not gods, and they don't have heavens or hells. They're all a bunch of lies and delusions. But the reason that people go to hell, that we also must understand, <clears throat> according to the word of God, uh, God does not send people to hell. Eyebrows are going up and crickets are sounding. People are confused. What do you mean God doesn't send people to hell? He doesn't. You send yourself. You are already on your way to hell. You are already on your way to hell. And God made a way of escape. He made a way to save you from the condemnation that you are condemning yourself in because of your own free will sin. Because you have sinned against the Lord willfully, willingly, re resisting, fighting the Lord, that you condemn yourself. You're already on your way to hell. That God created hell for sin, the devil and his angels, and our sin is going to be cast into hell. If we are not free from the condemnation of our sin, our sin will drag us down to hell. And God made a way of escape. So what the Lord actually has is a way of escape through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he paid the price and the atonement of all things. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus paid the full price and says, look, I will save you if you just believe in me. And then people instead want to blame God for being mean and sending people to hell when you're sending yourself to hell. And what, what the whole beauty of the Lord is, is, is his salvation. This is what it's about. It's about God's goodness, God's grace, God's salvation, God's redemption, God's son. It's about, about what he did for you. What else do you want him to do? So why do we want to believe in a God that sends people to hell for not believing in Jesus? Well, first off, people are going to hell because they're rejecting Jesus, because they hate God, and then you blame it because... You hate God, you sin against God, you curse God all your life, you use his name as vulgarities and profanities, you break every law of God in all forms of debauchery and sin and evil and wickedness, you mock God, curse the Bible, spit in the face of Christ, and then you're upset that he sends you to hell. But God is love. Yeah, he's love, he's not stupid. God is a God of justice. 
you curse God all your life and you curse God all the way to your hell uh, that you are sending yourself and you're upset that, that, that you have to pay the price of your sin. See what I mean? So, what uh, now understanding as well is when we actually do a deep doctrinal theological study and we see that there are no other gods. I've done that before in other videos. Show you how there are no other gods, that they're literally just demons masquerading as deities, and there is only one true Lord living God, and that is that, that is the Lord God of Scripture. Um, that there is only one God to actually believe in. And there is only one way, one truth, one life. There is a heaven and hell. And that you will pay the consequences of your own sins, which is hell, which is made for sin and the devil and his angels, and you will wind up paying the price of your consequences if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why billions of people are going to hell is because billions of people are spitting in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why. Okay. Let's go down through. Uh, Mia has a question regarding marriage and, and uh, husband and wife. Um, my husband's imam, so husband is Muslim. Husband is Muslim and the Muslim preacher called an imam or imam or however you want to pronounce that told, told the husband that if a wife refuses her hus her husband's advances and refuses to uh, to to sleep with her husband, the angels will curse her the whole night. Okay. A whole bunch of things are coming into my head right now uh, of how absolutely absurd Islam is. Are you talking about the same Islam that says that uh, Muhammad says you're supposed to drink camel urine to, to heal your belly and that if you wiped a, uh, Muhammad's phlegm on your face, you would never have diseases and uh, all kinds of other crazy things? Well, uh, but uh, Islam is not truth. Islam is a false religion and that angels don't do that. That's dumb. Um, <laughs> the, the Bible actually says about this is... Um, that the husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body and he lo love his wife as he loves Christ. As so we see honor and respect and rever reverence here at, uh, to the wife and the same and the wife is to love and honor her husband uh, in the same way. Uh, so we see respect that uh, that you should not force your spouse, not forcing your spouse against against uh, against their will is disrespect, is dishonor and dis dishonorable. That there's to be a an understanding of love and respect and reverence and uh, gentleness in this, and that if the other just doesn't want to, then leave them alone, and uh, as to, to respect them in that way, um, and that this is the the proper order of things between a husband and a wife, and uh, but Islam, of course, as we understand, as uh, as we have read in the Quran and, and done studies in the Quran, and uh, this way that the wife has no rights, the wife has no rights, no liberties, no freedoms, that she's basically a slave to her husband, she's chattel to her husband, and that if she rejects any of her husband's advances or controls or wills or wishes or rules or, or orders, that she is accursed and all this, and that she's basically a slave. 
Um, Islam has no grace. Islam has no has no understanding, no honor in this, and that women are just sex slaves in Islam. That's also why the the Muslim men their heaven is just a whorehouse. They get seventy two virgins, or they can just. Uh, prostitute all over the place all over their heaven that's just all it is so islam doesn't understand any of this so yeah but this is also why it says in the bible that when god made eve he did not take her from the from the head of adam as she is not above him he did not take her from a foot bone as she is not beneath him he took eve uh, uh, from the rib of adam as she is beside him she is the helpmeet that in christ is neither male nor female all are one in christ we see equality before the lord both are made in the image of god both are to be respected and honored and revered as such and that uh, uh, we see other religions seek to destroy this they destroy the family they destroy manhood they destroy womanhood they destroy family structure they destroy childhood and all of this but the this is what the bible says about this order this is how it's to be and this is what the bible says all right okay um okay Uh, uh, Mia has a follow-up. Do angels even curse? Well, in, okay, we have to take a look what the Bible says about angels. Uh, the angels are the servants of the Lord. They speak as they have been instructed to speak. So if an angel brings a blessing or brings a curse, like for example, the angels that went to Sodom and Gomorrah and pulled Lot out and they issued the 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 curse that that what God was going to do, the angels only speak as God has told them to speak. They don't speak of their own. As we see through Scripture, angels don't really speak in their own. They only speak as God has instructed them to speak. So uh, now, do angels have angels issued out curse, a curse or a woe or these kinds of things? Yes, they have throughout throughout Scripture. We do see instances of that. Uh, but again, what they are just bringing is well, well, God has issued this, and I, He told me to to bring this dictation to you. That's what it is. But the idea of Muslim angels standing over and cursing and denouncing... No, no, that's a bunch of nonsense. Okay? No, they don't use vulgarities. <laughs> okay, um... Let's see. Okay, here's a question. Okay, this is in the subreddit. Ask a Christian from Reddit. All right. I'm reading this question as it is on here. Do you think part of the reason so many Christians are against the trans community is this argument that they are going against what God assigned them? So basically this is saying that the reason why so many Christians are against the trans community is because the people that are identifying as trans are going against what God has assigned them as either male or female. 
Yes. Yes. Um, according to the word of God, according to the Bible, the scriptures, according to what God has given, there are only two genders according to the Bible. In the Bible, it's male or female. God created the male and female. He made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And uh, there's only male or female. And that uh, you are made in the womb. God fashioned you in the womb. And your gender is what you are born as. And scientifically, biologically, you could test this with the chromosomes and everything else to prove all of this. That you are that what you are born as is what you are, and deliberately defying that is going against what God has ordained, and a God that is all for the trans uh, transing and all of that stuff. Uh, his name is Baphomet, i.e., Satan. Uh, Baphomet is a transsexual demon, and if you go actually to all occult of all witchcraft of all shamanism of all that kind of thing of all down through time in every culture that there is it is well known worldwide around the whole world in every culture that does any form of spiritism that demons are trans spirits they always appear in multiple genders same spirit will come to you as a male or female that they cross genders they're gender fluid demons portray themselves as this i.e it's a demonic thing that if you actually however go to the god of israel the lord god jehovah yahweh elohim the great i am the god of moses abraham isaac and jacob david and elijah all down through time of matthew mark luke and john deborah esther hannah anna hold all the way down through time you see, the God of the Bible is that we see brought male or female, and God is a male. He, king, not queen, prince, not princess, father, not mother. Angels are masculine in term, masculine pronouns. God uses masculine terms, masculine pronouns, and that there is no gender fluidity with God. That's why Christians are against it. But if you want to go identify, be, do, have, whatever you want, you go right ahead. That's your liberty. That's your right. That's your freedom. You can go do whatever you want. Just don't think that God is going to rewrite his word for you. Okay. Question. What exactly do you think religion was made for? What exactly do you think religion was made for? All right, well, okay. What a lot of people don't understand is the difference between religion and faith, okay? Faith is not necessarily religion. 
and religion is necessarily faith. However, there is a connection. You see, faith is the internal of the heart, the person's belief. Okay? What I believe is my faith. Religion. <clears throat> Religion is the physical carryings out. The physical manifestation of one's belief of faith. As you see in the book of James, it talks about pure religion undefiled. Pure religion undefiled, and it gives examples, is this. So we see that, that, that a born-again Christian's religion is the physical acts, the physical workings, the carryings out of, of their belief of faith. Of, of what, does, what does our Lord God Jesus Christ ask of us to do in this world about gathering together and singing the praise of God, studying the word, witnessing and evangelizing, helping the poor and the sick and the needy and all of this uh, that we see. That's the carryings out. That's the religion. That's what James is talking about in chapter two about the works. And so that's what religion is. Religion is made for the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. That's what religion is made for um okay why do so many christians push for institutional control over what non-christian people do with their lives well, because what non-Christians want to do with their lives is wicked and sin and evil and against God and is just helping assist them to hell. And we don't like that. And we want to try to help you to so that you could see the truth of God and the gospel. And we want to oppose sin. Because what non-Christians want is sin. We don't want sin. We don't like sin. Sin is bad. So we want an institution that doesn't glorify sin in every single way in all of society. We don't like sin being pushed down our throats. Where you deliberately rewrite laws and protocols and all this other stuff and change the governments to take away our 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 the rights of our own faith so that you can you can glorify and dance in your own debauchery more we don't like that because that's of the devil so why do so many christians push for institutional control because god's way is better all right are christians qualified in claiming to know what God wants, dislikes, and likes. Well, <laughs> that's a trick question. Um, this is why you also don't answer questions right away. If you want to get better at apologetics, do not answer questions immediately. Read the question. Read it out loud. 
read the question out loud. You, you'd be surprised how often you find something in the question that you may have missed if you're reading it quietly just in your mind. Read it out loud. Vocalize it. And then think about it. And then read it again. And you'd be surprised how, how much better you get at your apologetics. Are Christians qualified in claiming to know what God wants, dislikes, and likes? Well, first off, you see, the first, the first bit here we have to address is Christians. What do you mean by Christians? What do you mean by Christians? Are you talking about Catholics? Because they're not qualified. You're talking about Mormons or Seventh-day Adventists or, or, or Mennonites or the Amish or, or what, what people group, what religious people group uh, will call themselves Christian is not always Christian. Christian means a follower of Jesus Christ. And according to the word of God, they are called Christians first at Antioch. These individuals are believers in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, but belief alone, according to the scriptures. These individuals are believers in the God of scriptures. And those that study the word of God and go by the word of God and not by commentary, creed, catechism, feeling, dreams, experiences, visions, I think, me thinks, and all the rest of that, feelings and, and opinions and denominational distinctives, but just scripture, scripture alone. A born-again Christian that studies the word of God in and out, go by them, is a Christian qualified. Let's look at this more. Look at this more. Listen, don't answer yet. Is a Christian qualified in claiming to know what God wants, dislikes, and likes? No. I bet you weren't expecting that. No. A Christian is not qualified. No one is. This is what the book says, what scripture says, what the word of God says, what the Holy Bible says. This is qualified. I'm not. I cannot dictate what God likes or dislikes. I don't call the shots. I'm not the judge. This is. What the Bible says. What the scripture says. Well, the Bible was written by men. Men penned it. God told them what to write. The certain individuals, holy servants of God, God spoke to them. These men held the pen. Well, God dictated to them what to write. And they wrote down what God said. And then God took that, preserved it, held that unto all generations. This is preserved by God. What this book says, what the book says, what the Bible says, what the scripture says, is what is qualified to, to say what God likes and dislikes and all the rest. There you go. All right, here's one more. No, there's a few more I want to touch on. Oh, there's some good ones. Hmm. Two hours, 11 minutes. I'm feeling good. We still got a little bit more time. You folks want to hear some more? We'll take a poll. Democracy. <laughs> Do you want to hear some more? We'll go by that. Do you want to hear some more of these questions? 
or are you tired and you want to wrap it up? One more hour? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Okay, why not? Yes, please. Okay, all right. Let's do a couple more. <clears throat> okay, I'm, I'm going to need your help on some of these. You're going to need to keep voicing your thoughts. <laughs> all right, here's one. Okay, Mia has a point. If the Bible was written by men, as inspired by men, written and inspired by men, if the Bible is written by men, why is that? Why is it that in everything it has, it goes against men's desires? Exactly. Which goes to prove how the Quran was written by man, not inspired by God, because the Quran appeases to every whim and will and desire of the debaucherous nature of men. Mm. All right. Here's one. Is it true that St. Francis of, As of Asai talked to animals? As in could literally, like, Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> that he, he could literally talk to animals, animals would talk to him. That, that he, was, he was Dr. Doolittle. Is it true that St. Francis of Asai talked to animals? <laughs> Well, first up, this guy's Roman Catholic. Wasn't a Christian. And, um, well, much of the miracles and signs and wonders done in the Roman Catholic Church is by occultic means. Uh, and uh, Francis here, this is where they get Francis the talking donkey. And that Francis here was... Uh, uh, was a Catholic and not a Christian. So we have to look at it this way. Um, that also that the fact that the Roman Catholic Church is nothing but lies. Is nothing but lies. And uh, lies about everything. They, they say they have, a, they have a fragment of the true cross. They have nails from Noah's Ark. Uh, they have hair from the head of Elisha. They have... Uh, they have milk from mother mary uh they have uh fragments of all kinds of things they have they actually have manna from the wilderness and all kinds of things they claim to have had um they're nothing but but lying scam artists uh, so i actually don't take any of the mythological claims of Roman Catholic Church as legit. I don't take any of their claims as legit. It's nothing but just stupid <laughs> Dr. Seuss stories. That's all it is. But, here's a question though. Uh, is it possible through certain means that individuals could, quotation marks, converse with animals what 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 is the only way that that could be done well occultically but it's not the animal that's talking to you it's a spirit that's making you think that you're talking to the animal so there's something else going on here and it's certainly not of god if it did happen all right all right so let's go to another one 
<laughs> Michael says, well, there was a, a, a talking donkey. Well, right. But we see in there, as God opened the mouth of this thing, as for a specific reason, all this to warn Balaam what was happening, because Balaam was trying to do something bad, and uh, that whole thing did happen, yes. But again, we see that wasn't Roman Catholic. This is of God in the Old Testament under a different thing, a whole different means, but yeah. Okay, here's a question. Is God 100% justified in what he does is God 100% justified in what he does? Okay, hold up. Now, also, if you want to get better at apologetics, you want to get better at answering questions biblically, what you do is you... Wait. You read it out loud. You take a moment. You think about it. And one other thing that I like to do that also really helps me is in questions like this, is God 100% justified in what he does? I, I, I like to take that and invert it. I like to invert it. Okay, well, what would this question seem, seem to insinuate if God was not justified? If hypothetically the answer was no, what would that then mean? So we see by this, if God was not justified, then that means he's not God. He's a sinful uh, uh, mis uh, creature that makes mistakes, has error and flaw. He's not perfect. He can make mistakes. He's not justified. God can be held accountable. You see what that means. But if we go by the word of God, and we see God's character, attributes, his person, and everything that he is, God can't make mistakes. He's not flawed. He's, God is not held accountable to anything. He's God. And God can't sin, can't lie. In him is no darkness, the shadow of turning. He is infinite, holy, just, righteous, pure, and lovely, altogether beautiful, to, an, to the infinite degree. So, is God then, by, according to the word of God, justified in everything that he does? Yes, because God can't make mistakes. See that? <clears throat> Here's a question. What about all the missing scriptures? What about all the missing scriptures? Well, remember, what, what did I show you? How do you answer questions? What about all the missing scriptures? Okay, what would that mean if there were missing scriptures? What would that mean? That would mean God is flawed. He's a liar. He did not preserve his word like he said he would. God makes mistakes. God can be fought against and defeated. Because you can fight against his word and destroy his word, cause his word to cease to exist or parts of it, passages of it, and that he can't preserve it all, and then we can't know everything about him, and we see that God can actually be defeated. His word can go void. His word can be destroyed. But his word is above his very name, and if his word is above his very name, and you can fight against his word and cause it to cease to exist, what does I say about his name? You see what happens. 
First off, we have to understand there are no missing texts. There are no lost passages, lost texts, lost manuscripts. There's no missing scripture. Everything that is scripture, since the beginning of the writing of it, has been preserved by God, held by God, preserved by God unto all generations. Though the grass withers, the flowers fade, his word stands forever. His word is unto all generations. His word is above his very name. And there are no missing scriptures. So what about all the missing scriptures? Uh, which other religion are you referring to? So yeah. All right. Um, here's one more. We'll do one more and then we'll look at the comments and we'll wrap it up. <clears throat> what are your thoughts amongst people claiming that white people introduced Christianity to Africa as being the reason why black people should not be Christians? Uh, meaning that it's the white man's religion and all of that and black people have their own religion and and it's just forcing another culture's religion on another and we just leave people alone and be their own beliefs that they want okay so what's your thoughts amongst people claiming that white people introduced christianity to africa as the reason why black people shouldn't be christians how would you answer that slow down read the question think about it and what's the bible say well first off what you need to understand is Christianity is the continuation of the Old Testament. It's the continuation, the fulfillment of the prophecies. It's the same belief that Christianity is actually of Jewish origin, not white man. It goes back to the Jews, to the Middle East. And actually what we see is it goes even further back from that, it goes back to Abraham, who was a Canaanite from the Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham was not Jewish, he was Canaanite. And if we go take a look at where he was and all this, it was the Mediterranean area and all, uh, all of this. Um, and also, we see how it spread abroad, the belief of Jehovah God went out into all the land of everybody, that even the Egyptians and other Africans believed in the Lord God in the Old Testament. We see with King Solomon, the Queen of Ethiopia, <laughs> the queen of Ethiopia from Africa came up to see King Solomon. And also, if we go back to Moses, we see uh, Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Moses married a black woman. Moses married a black woman. And uh, we go on. All the way up through, we see that Philip the Evangelist witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch, who the Ethiopian eunuch was the first born-again Christian that we, that we know of, who actually went back to Africa to witness the gospel to Africa. So actually, he was a black man that brought Christianity to Africa. Swish. Okay. How do you like them apples? 
Okay. That was fun. <laughs> you see, the Bible has an answer for literally everything. The Bible has an answer for literally everything. And we just need to learn to study it. We just need to learn to take the Bible at face value. What it says, what it means, has an answer for literally anything and everything you could possibly come up with. All right, so let's go down through the comments here to get these last few, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, um, let's go down through. Mia, how to those who say God did make a mistake that he regretted he created men? All right, yeah, this is going back to the time of Noah, about when God looked down and he saw the wickedness of men, and he... he, he uh, uh, regretted they ever made men now this is is a term not in that that god made a mistake but this is referring to the grief of god his grief over sin as that that the wickedness is so pervasive and all this that god was not in all their thoughts and that that, that it grieved him in the sorrow the sorrow towards mankind and also the grief and understanding of how he was going to have to destroy and god is not willing that any should perish he doesn't want this to happen he doesn't want the judgment he doesn't want the wrath he doesn't want this punishment to come upon them he god does not take enjoyment out of the death of the wicked that that he that he that he was sorrowing over having to do this that that's what that means it it is not a term there about the regret is not not a term there in meaning of like god made a mistake but this is referring to god's grief over their sin and over his need now to have to destroy them over this that's that's talking about okay mia has a follow-up uh, didn't god know from eternity past that lucifer would become satan why then did he create him anyways exactly it is understanding the sovereign will of god and the free free will of his creation of nature um that yes god saw god knew uh, uh, god knows all things but there's also the giving of the free will to his creation nothing that god made is a robot dancing to their own programming uh, we're not robots we're we're lively creatures created with free will that we are given understanding we're given the full full informed decision but yes, God does know who's going to get saved. God knows who is not. God knows. He sees all things. He sees all time. He sees the beginning of all things, all things, and the end of all things. He sees and knows all things. But he still went through and created all things anyways. But why did he do that? I don't know. He just did. Could God have not have? Could not could have not have that's his choice that's his prerogative um then why did he because he wanted to uh all right so mia says what's the argument so last question here what is the argument for black hebrews <laughs> let's just say that jesus was black all right uh, the people who say jesus was black specifically the black hebrew israelites Alrighty. <laughs> well, first off, 
like I've talked about with cults and other religions, you want to look at the founder, you want to look at the origin, you want to look at the doctrines, uh, the theologies of these individuals. The black Hebrews are like cult is a relatively new cult that started in, I believe it was the mid 1900s. It's a cult started by an individual i forget his name and where he came from all that but uh, anyways uh emphasizing that the that the black people of africa are the true jews of the bible no they're not um and that uh, all the events in the bible took place in africa no they did not with the exception of that which happened in egypt in that area uh, and that uh that jesus was black no he was not uh now but if you want to take a look at just like in Islam or Mormonism or any other religion, you take a look at the kind of doctrines and stuff they come up with. Uh, they say that Jesus, uh, I don't like saying this because it is unbelievably blasphemous and heretical, but you need to understand where the black Hebrew Israelites are coming from. The the BHI, the black Hebrew Israelites, the BHI uh, get a lot of their, their doctrines from the Jewish Talmud which is the traditional opinions and beliefs of certain rabbis down through time. Talmud is not scripture. And the BHI get a lot of their stuff from the Talmud. The Talmud that they specifically also believe, the BHI also believes from the Talmud, that Jesus is eternally burning in hell, boiling in a vat of feces for all eternity, that Jesus is the king of hell for going against the Pharisees and that Jesus is accursed of God. That's what the BHI said. The BHI is also an exceptionally, excessively vulgar, foul-mouthed religion that if you get them riled up, you start going opposed. They'll just start cursing you up one side, down the other, through the middle, rip you apart in such vulgarities and cursings and oaths and foulness. They have no problem with vulgarities. They have no grace, no love, no Christ-likeness. They hate Jesus. They violently hate Jesus. They they curse Christians. They hate Jews. They're anti-Semitists. They're racists. They hate every other culture. And the BHI also say that white people were specifically created to be the slaves of black people for all eternity. They, that's what they say. I have debated numerous BHI, and they all believe this kind of thing, all this garbage. And so I literally don't care about anything that they say. Their religion is a bunch of uh, violently vulgar, hateful, racist, non-biblical nonsense. Uh, uh, but anyways, uh, the idea that Jesus was black, no, he wasn't. He wasn't white. He wasn't black. He wasn't purple. Jesus was born of Mary, who was a Jew of, of, of Israel, of the Middle East, uh, that olive-complexioned uh, nature of uh, 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 people. And this is who Jesus was. Jesus was not from Africa. He was from Bethlehem of Israel. And the Israelites were not black. Just what the Bible says. Take a look at the, at the races of the people and the colors and the cultures of the people. You take a look at the names of the place. You see where they were and you see what the people are like of the time of that area. So where they were. And it doesn't line up with any of the BHI claims. There you go. Okay. Okay, Michael says, what is the mathematical equation of a black hole? Lots. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how can we be praying for you? 
All right, yeah, if you could be praying for CCT, that uh, that uh, we, this ministry would flourish and uh, we would see much more revivals. Um, we would see unsaved coming to the Lord and more saints strengthened. We'd see this ministry would stand that none of our material would get censored or deleted or removed. That none of our platforms would get would get shut down or any of that kind of thing. That this ministry would be protected from the eyes and the hands of unreasonable and wicked men. Hey, please pr be praying for our platforms for this ministry that it would stand the test of time. That uh, that none of our stuff would ever get deleted or censored or removed. Please be praying for that. And uh, um, yeah, so that's what you please be praying for. And as you may have also seen. Uh, I put up a short little clip it uh, earlier this morning. Again, I just want to reiterate this to everybody here. Could you please be praying for my good friend, Glenn? He's a, a fellow preacher, a powerful man of God, uh, a great street preacher and evangelist, and he has had a horrible thing happen many years ago. Apparently, from what I heard, he was in a bad accident that... Uh, wound up damaging his one eye and he was uh, mostly blind in one eye and recently he has suffered a stroke that affected his last good eye and now he is legally blind so what i am asking for folks if, if everybody hearing this if you could please join in the name of our lord god jesus christ if you could pray for my friend glenn that our lord jesus would lay his hands on glenn and restore his sight could you please pray that that uh, Glenn's sight would be restored, that he'd be able to read the word of God again, and that uh, he'd be able to serve the Lord in, in fullness again. And please be praying that uh, that our Lord Jesus would restore Glenn's sight. That's what I ask of you. So please be praying for my friend Glenn. All righty. All right, so uh, there you go. So we got to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. Robert says, yes, yeah, you go back to uh, Old Testament, go to Esau. Esau was a ginger. Right. Exactly. There you go. Esau was a ginger. A fair-skinned ginger. <laughs> he wasn't black. Just saying. And also, I just want to throw in there, it doesn't matter. It literally does not matter. Skin color is completely irrelevant is not even an issue is not even a thing as it says in acts that god god has made all the nations of the earth of one blood all the nations of the earth are of one blood is what it says in scripture whether you're white or black or brown or red or yellow or pink or purple or blue or whatever it literally does not matter skin color pigmentation is a non-issue I'll never understand the racist mind. I, I never will. I'll never get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Skin color is so completely, utterly irrelevant. It's not funny. And people who want to elevate that as an issue, those people are ignorant. Don't even get drawn into those arguments. Those people who want to bring skin color into as an equation, those people are ragingly ignorant. There you go. It says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Uh, so, sorry, uh, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. Uh, but how, how people of all... 
After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Of all places, of the whole world, of everywhere, of every nation, kindred, tribe and tongue and people group and kindred, they'll be standing before the Lord saved. It doesn't matter where you are, what you are, what color you are, what language you speak or any of that. It's all irrelevant. All God cares about is the soul. That's all God cares about is the soul. So stop looking at, at, at the appearance. Stop judging by appearance and judge righteously. Amen. All right, so we'll wrap that up there. So thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. Get your nose in the book. Get studying. And again, like I said, with these questions about the gospel, write this down. Write, write down your answers. Fill it out. Send it in or post it up or whatever you want to do with it. But point is, answer these questions by the word of God. Scripture heavy. Get busy. And uh, again, I think the time, the time note on that was an hour 13 so if you want to go into hour 13 into the video is where I start to present these questions and you can write them down and answer them. So get busy about that and serve the Lord in fear and trembling. Get the gospel of Jesus Christ out there and hope to see you again, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.